Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On today's edition, it's all kicking off at Borussia Dortmund. The question is, what's football got to do with it? Also, PSG versus Real Madrid. Well, it's Neymar versus Benzema, if you like. Who's going to come out on top in the big Champions League clash? And Cherchez la femme. We discuss the state of French women's football. Let's kick off with this Dortmund. I think we should start with Lars, you know, because I'll tell you what, Dortmund, as keen listeners to OTC mm. will know, are the team that are currently hosting the best centre forward that's ever come out of, of Norway. Of, except, or anywhere. <laughs> Stefan Everson's <laughs> playing for Dortmund. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've kicked it off I right. like Sir Dolan. Except, <laughs> except the Norwegian connection wasn't playing. He was in the stands no. when Dortmund lost terribly to Bayern. Leverkusen. Yes. So this is a very simple and very complicated section because I, I remember seeing in the notes before we were doing the show. It's just WTF Dortmund. And I thought, yep, we don't know. That's, that's it. I, and I have in my notes Dortmund weak. <laughs> they were, they were many exclamation marks. <laughs> they were not good against Leverkusen. That that was a bad performance. One one of their worst under Marco Rosa. And uh, yeah, you you saw some shots of Alling Holland looking upset in the stands. I would say, though, I wouldn't read too much into this. I mean, people are always trying to read too much into anything that's to do with Erling Haaland. I think he's just, we've seen this before, when he's not playing, he's incredibly passionate and, and doesn't ex- exactly hide his emotions in the stands. Uh, he, he cheers uh, <laughs> like he does on the pitch when the team scores, and he's very upset when they don't win. And I think he was just really cross that uh, that the team got got spanked. I mean, there's, there's not much more to it than that, I don't think. That's the interesting thing, I think, Lars, with where Dortmund are at the moment, because... Um, this was a humiliating defeat. As you say, the performance was maybe even worse than the result. Mm, I think it yeah. could have been worse than 5-2. Um, but it feels relatively consequence-free, certainly in the in the short term, because you had people coming out afterwards and going, well, that's the title race over. Where was the, There wasn't yeah, a title yeah, race in the, in the first was, place. Um, they, were, they were never catching Bayern in, in, in the first place. Even with Leverkusen winning that game, there's still five points behind Dortmund in second place. And yeah. I would say it's almost certain that Dortmund are, are going to hold on to, to second place. And as you say, with Erling Haaland, he's not going to stay at the end of the season anyway. No, so, I don't, so I don't think there's a chance of that. Like his reaction to that is A, completely consistent with his reactions most of the time. Yeah. And B... I th- why are we even talking about it? Inconsequential. In, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It, in terms of him, in terms of where he ends up, okay, there's something to be filled in. But whether he actually leaves Dortmund, it's not a weather anymore. It's, it's really not. Mm. I think what we've got to look at here is where Dortmund are in terms of where they do end up next season. Because Marco Rosa 
as you said, has, has been there all season now. They um, moved a lot to get him. They uh, paid a release fee. Uh, There's a bit of a wrangle to, to, to get him out of Borussia Mönchengladbach and he had to serve out the rest of last season with very bad feeling. And he's had time to work with the players now. And specifically before this game, he had time to work with them as well um, because they had a couple of weeks off. And you would have thought time on the training pitch at this point in a season is absolute gold dust. It's not mm. something that you normally get. And I don't know about you, but I watched that game and I thought, what have you been working on? Yeah. Like there's no organisation, no shape. The, yeah, the, yeah the, the, the shape when they haven't got the ball. Every time they lost the ball, they looked like they were going to concede a goal. It's, mm. it's, it's that simple. You know the way that Leverkusen are going to play. And it was actually very like Lucien Favre's last game in charge. That's yeah. the concerning thing where they lost 5-1 at home to, it did rem- to That was the exact game I was going to bring up. Yeah, it did and remind you of that. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? And you think that was now... A, that was the game that finished Favre and obviously it had been building up for a while. And B, that was 14 months ago and has really that much changed? Uh, I guess the question is, is it Rosa? Has he not made enough of an impression or is it something about the club, their priorities and the way way they're running things? Yeah, and uh, there was a collective failure here and we shouldn't get away from that. But I think there's also a slightly more simple solution to some of this, which is if you look at this team... Like, so you start in midfield, like Bellingham is a combative figure, but he's primarily an attacking midfielder, you'd, you'd have to say. Uh, Mo Dahoud is not a proper ball-winning central midfielder, and Julian Brandt certainly isn't. So, I mean, th- you're quite light in that department mm. in terms of winning challenges and winning the ball and being defensively solid. And if you look at defence, like Akanji and Zagadu, like I, I wouldn't trust any any of them to, to look after my dog. You know, they're, they're, they're very... They're, they're, there's something there. Not, they're not bad players, and maybe next to someone brilliant that, that they could form a good partnership, but they're both error-prone and, and unreliable. And, and neither fullback Munier or Guerrero are a good defender so you look at the whole sort of the whole back seven in this team there's not one outstanding defensive player there not one yeah. and and I do think you can have days where things fail collectively and you are you aren't aggressive enough and things kind of fall apart but, but if you have one or two players at least who can win some challenges and uh in the words of Roy Keane, just smash someone to make me feel better. Like, just, just, just sort of be make a battle of it when things aren't going your way. That can help you. And Dortmund don't have that at all. And it, it, you, can th- I mean, you can throw an Axel Witzel who can't really run that much anymore. I mean, that doesn't help. You can throw Hummels in there. Hasn't really been a successful transfer for them. So they just lack solidity on a personnel side. And they I'm haven't not, not, always lacked it, have they? They haven't always... Something's happened. They, well, there's been, a, there's been a soft underbelly to that team for a long time, I think. In defence uh, as well, because he, the problem when, with when this... When was the last time you looked at Dortmund and said, that, that team knows how to defend? Yeah. I, I mean, I we're going back time. a while, aren't we? It's a very long time ago. And I think this is why it was so interesting to see the week they've had, because it's not yeah. just about that game. Because that's the next but, thing we're coming on to. Well, now. yeah, they, they, they go and they sign Nicolas Zula, mm. who is not just from Bayern, he's a Bayern first teamer mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a very good defender. Yep. And uh, what I think is interesting is if you needed a reinforcement of the fact that he will be a good signing for Borussia Dortmund, I think you look at like now, the briefings that are leaking out of Bayern in that, oh, well, Zula came back from... Um, 
Uh, he came back from uh, the Christmas break, four kilos overweight, and um, you know that's we how have, you know they didn't have, want him to go. Exactly, exactly. And we have <laughs> doubts they're over briefing against desire him. to improve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're feeding like, him too much. Yeah, yeah, that, well, this this would not come out. Like if, <laughs> exactly, it's, if they were indifferent. It's coming out of Bayern for a reason. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Oliver Kahn's already said why they let him go is because of money. Because they got to a, a point, you can't pay everyone. You know, it's that no. simple. And you know, you talked about it relatively recently. Last, they've got some contractual decisions to make. They've got a um, the, the top of that pile is they've got to re-up Gnabry. They've got to re-up uh, Toliso, who's played very well in the last couple of months, out of contract this summer. So those are the immediates, and that's before you get to Neuer, Lewandowski, and Müller, who all expire contract in the the, the, the same summer in. In, in 2023, so yeah. they've they've got some they've got some stuff to deal with. Um, but you expect them to rebuild, though, don't you? And, and mm-hmm. I'm just looking at Dortmund now, and you're thinking, but that's a they... great st- that's a, Zula's a great start. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think Zula can be the start and the end of it. I think Nico Schlotterbeck, who's also been mentioned, that it would be a good partner for him. It's interesting because it seems that they're contract discussions with uh, the aforementioned Manuel Akanji have sort of like run aground. I think they're spending the money that they would have been spending yeah. on his contract extension on Zula. And really, you'd rather be spending the money on, on Zula than him. But it's very interesting re- that yeah. they've convinced Zula to come because there was interest from other big clubs around I, Europe. I did see reports suggesting that Akanji wanted, you know, top, top money to extend, mm. which just made me think, from what position are you making that demand? Like, he's someone who's been there. Like We're, we're talking about how Dortmund have looked shabby at the back for years. I mean, he's he's been a constant. Like, he's someone who hasn't kicked on the way we hoped and frankly thought when he came from Switzerland. S- someone will pay him that. I honestly think someone will pay him that this this summer. I think they'll end up selling him with a year left on his contract, mm. and, and and someone will give him the money he wants. Whether they should is is a different question. Yeah. Anyway, Sula coming in and and as a start of a rejig of that defense makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, I'm sure it is a lot about money, but I think the point that he makes publicly, Sula. I mean, he says that Sebastian Kiel and Marco Rosa really impressed me with their vision of the role I can take at uh, BBB, and I have uh, the you defend- and I have the feeling <laughs> of being wanted as a player and a footballer, which which feels a bit pointed, yeah. uh, as much as maybe Bayern weren't pretend prepared to give him the exact money he wanted but also maybe they didn't make him feel like he was the main man I mean there, mm. might, there is probably a sense there that if everyone's fit uh, Upamakano and Luca Hernandez is the centre half pairing uh, but, but everyone being fit is a bit big butt here and also the reality is you know, no no defender has played more minutes in the league for Bayern this season than uh, than Sule. Only Lewandowski, Neuer, Müller, Kimmich, and Sané have more minutes in the league. So of, of the defenders, you know, he's the most he's has been their go to guy. I mean, it could be vital for the way they play, not just because he's a good defender, not just because he's a good age. He's mobile, and uh, Here's th- the thing. That, that he is, doesn't look it. That is something because he, doesn't, a bit, he, is, he is a big is. unit, and I'm sure the as much as the the weight reports are malicious, I mean, they're probably not untrue but if you actually watch the football he gets around the pitch well for a guy his he size and, and, and shape and uh, does this all go to the core of the issues for 
uh, Dortmund, though, because we suddenly started talking football. We started off yeah. looking at their off-pitch issues, of which they're quite considerable. I just wonder whether uh, uh, whether fixing the defence, for example, fixing yeah, that no, defence uh, is going to be the solution, or whether there's still going to be issues. As someone who tends to sort of bring big picture theories and you know galaxy brain takes and stuff to this table, I would just want to simplify it with Dortmund. They need better defensive players on the field. I don't think it's actually much more complicated than that. Uh, I don't think this as much as what happened against Leverkusen. Yes, there was a collective failure, and yes, you have to look at the coaching. But I don't think there is a version of real life where that that, that defensive personnel can sustain a Bundesliga title challenge. I just don't think they're good enough on an individual basis. I guess. I guess the question is: it always seems a little bit unfair comparing them to Bayern because Bayern do have twice the wage bill. Mm. They do have all the success behind them. But Dortmund have shown, or previous incarnations of Dortmund have shown in the past that with the right planning, um, with the right organisation, that you can make the challenge. It just hasn't felt like they're anywhere close to to doing that and making the most of their resources, which I, I, I think is the issue. Now, if there's going to be a time to attack it, it is now because if you look at, we talked about the contractual flux and maybe a generational flux uh, at, at Bayern, even though they will at the end of it, it still end up with an excellent team. There's no doubt about that. And you look at everything changing upstairs as well with Rummenigge and, and Hurst yeah. moving on. They're, they're, they're entering a, a different phase. Yeah, no, it's an interesting time. And just on Dortmund, I thought um, I saw this on, on social media, popular social media website, Twitter. Uh, Josh Sim at Josh Sim 8 made the point that uh, he writes, maybe Robert Andres isn't a Dortmund level player, but it's clear that Leverkusen benefit from having him in their midfield, adding defensive balance. It's the kind of signing uh, Dortmund should be making and can afford to, but choose not to inexplicably, which mm. I think is a really good point. Uh, you know, just just have a good defensive midfielder in there. You know, uh, they just buy a proper centre half who can win challenges and defend. You know, just no. you need a couple of you need a couple of hard fellas in that team. Just as final, much as we talk about the exciting attacking talent that's always at Dortmund, they need to be more solid. Point on this, obviously, um, for many of our listeners, they'll be interested in seeing. Even though Lars says we shouldn't read too much into this five-two defeat uh, by. Uh, of uh, mm. um, Dortmund by Bayern Leverkusen. However, Jude Bellingham is there in the mix of all of that, and many of our listeners will know well. Where, where does all of this issue, all these issues at Dortmund, leave him? Yeah, I, I think I think we can read quite a lot into that result. Really, I just think we can't. What I meant was we can't read too much into Erling Holland's situation from okay. it. Uh, I, I, I would read plenty Bellingham. into the result. I, would, I, I understand yeah. why you're more interested um, in Erling Haaland. No, but I'm saying on on Bellingham, the big question is. Uh, Obviously, he looks like someone who is perhaps uh, ready for greater things. He's someone who the great and the good of the English Premier League will want to try to sign this summer. The question is, can Dortmund be persuaded to let more than one of their stars go in the same summer? And I'm not sure they want to. I think they know there's no real way of keeping Holland at the club this summer. And with some money coming in and still having made a good good price from from Central last summer, I don't think they feel the need to sell anyone. And I think Bellingham's going to stay. Yeah, I think I think it's unlikely they sell both in the summer. Also, this underlined the fact that brilliant as he is, he's still a work in progress. He had a terrible mm. game. 
he had a really terrible game and part of that is to to do with the the players around him but it does go back to the intrinsic issues at Dortmund that go beyond the coach because it's not a healthy situation mm. where your best two players are 18 and 21 that shows that you've got it wrong in terms of recruiting the more experienced players and as Lars was pointing out maybe the the less garlanded ones and less lastly on Bellingham the thing we know about Dortmund that we learned not this summer but the one before that uh, with Sancho is that when they say no they mean no if they if they, if they don't want to sell someone they won't and uh, there I think there are a few um Fans and even clubs in this country who tend to assume that money will always solve it at some point, but but, but Dortmund are entirely capable of putting their foot down and say we're just not letting him go, and I suspect that'll happen. Let's talk about PSG and uh, obviously the big draw that they're facing in the Champions League versus Real Madrid. Some people might look at it in the old school way and say, oh, that's Neymar versus Benzema. But it's more than that. It's got to be more than that. They're not the ones that have kept us salivating about this draw for a while. Well, they might not play. I think that's the huge thing. Because uh, Neymar has... Um, I think taken longer than expected to to to, to come back from his ankle problem. He's still on social media, and uh, well, well he's, that affects it. I mean, he's he's, ne- he's never going to be off it. Um, I, th- I think talking of social media, it was interesting to see just before we came on actually, Karen Benzema giving us a little wave from the gym because it's been apparent this week that Real Madrid are genuinely worried about him not making this game. And that would be a huge thing for, for, for them. Uh, I think um, you, you go back to, to last week when um, he's, he's coming back from his hamstring injury. And last Friday's training, he pulls up a little early. Now, Real Madrid have tried to pull it down, uh, play it down. They've tried to say, you know, it, it just, it wasn't quite right. We, we're going to take our foot off the gas a little bit and, 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 and see how he goes. Um you know they're right to be super careful with hamstrings um but then you get to the league game they play last weekend against granada where they give quite a flat quite a toothless mm. performance they've got no one to stand in for him i i realize that nominally they've got luka jovic well they clearly don't trust him and i would say probably quite rightly so um on the form of the last couple of years you look at the last couple of games where they played um Played Isco as uh, a sort of false nine, if 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 you like, and um, Marco Asensio has played in that spot recently as as well. And then you look at the bench. You look at the fact that Danny Ceballos came in um, and 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 played some minutes at the end of the Granada game as, as as well, and some of the other players that were on the bench. You think Ancelotti has done an exceptional job mm-hmm. at Real Madrid this season, but. It's not just, I don't think it's just about Benzema being out, if he is out. It's symptomatic of something else, that they are still a work in progress. And you remember how we were kind of fooled into thinking by Atletico Madrid winning the league last season, that they were further ahead than where they actually are. Mm. And it's becoming abundantly clear that there's still a lot of transition going on this season by the unevenness that's happened both in La Liga and in the Champions League. I'm thinking that Real Madrid, who are obviously preparing a very big summer, are actually in a similar boat. 
But we, we spoke about that in the summer when Ancelotti was brought in, that he made sense as a choice because they're not going to, this is not a perfect squad. Like this yeah. is a squad that has a lot of issues and it's not going to be perfect. And you just need an experienced hand who will just sort of not freak out and just raise an eyebrow. And you're, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out something. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I think the fact that Isco, um, for all his limitations, was used as a stand-in from Benzema is quite telling because it tells you a lot about Benzema's role. As much as we focus on the goals he's been scoring this season, he's so important as a facilitator. Mm. I mean, if we look at what's gone right for Real Madrid, why they are in the league in spite in the lead in spite of all these issues, is it is that Benzema's having an amazing season, but also that Vinicius Junior has emerged as this sort of fantastic player. And and part of I'm not taking anything away from him, but part of why he's been so good is that he has a centre forward and Benzema is very generous in terms of laying on chances for him and, and occupying defenders and, and providing assists and all that. So if you take Benzema out of it, they, they lose more than their top scorer. I mean, he really is the, the guy who makes their attack work. Okay, but the the issue is that there are two people or two teams in this fixture. Uh, whatever Real Madrid, however Real Madrid approaches uh, this Champions League fixture will depend on whether uh, yeah. Neymar or whoever else PSG have got is playing. And also Pochettino in the midst of all this, he's going through a hard time. You're saying that Carlo Ancelotti, uh, Ancelotti is doing well at Real Madrid, mm-hmm. but arguably now Mauricio Pochettino is at the other end of the spectrum at PSG. Yeah. He came... He came into the job on a high. He's on a low at the moment. Which, and which is, how would that affect which, this fixture? Which is telling, and which is why this is a very interesting game from the PSG perspective. 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 Good lord! Uh, from the PSG perspective, <laughs> say in Norwegian. Uh, Paris Saint Germain's perspective. Actually, um, say in English. <laughs> um, because the league is a nonsense, right? Uh, I mean, the, the, the league uh, from PSG's perspective just doesn't, almost doesn't matter. I mean, Le Keeper reporting this week that PSG's wage bill is now 37% of the total wage expenditures in Liga. So you have one team who's paying close to 40% of all the salary in an en- entire division. I mean, you can have a discussion is this even competitive sports anymore? Yeah, is this some, it is a nonsense. And it means, even though they're top of the league, now, that's no credit in the bank for Pochettino. I mean, they're, they're going to win the league quite comfortably, as it looks like. But he's still under a lot of pressure because they haven't been playing well. I mean, they've, they've put together a team that, that looks kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters of football. And people are expecting to be entertained every weekend. But as we've discussed at length on this pod, there are a lot of square pieces here. And there are some round holes that aren't being filled. And because of that, the team doesn't make any sense and doesn't work. More uh, round holes than they have in Blackburn Lancashire. Potholes. Uh, uh, of course. And... <laughs> And, uh, no, and and one lot. of those there square pegs. I mean, can I just? This is slightly low, but listen. What does Sven Botman, Matteo Guendouzi, Jason Denier, Idrissa Ganagé, Ander Herrera, Norwegian Albanian man Elba Rashani, former Huddersfield striker Steve Munier, and Sofian Buffal all have in common? Tell me. God. They've all scored more goals in Liga this season than Lionel Messi. Wow. Boom. That is, uh, which should is, we be surprised at that? Should we be surprised at that? Um, I, I, su- surprised, yes. Yeah, shock, no. Because um, I, I think you have to be fair to Messi. Um, no pre-season. And we always talk about the leap between leagues. He has come to a much more physical league. And whereas it surprised Latan, and then he thought, let's fight fire with fire. Uh, Messi is he's not fire. in a position to do really that. He doesn't have a lot of fire. fire. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't yeah. have that type of fire. He's got the skills. Say. But yeah, yeah. And, and he does um, have six assists. To be fair to him, but, but, uh, but I, th- I think I think that is 
th- those are those are two things that are quite hard to get past. Mm. Um, also, I think, as we've said right from the start of the season, I do think the Mbappe, Neymar, Messi is unsustainable. And really, going into this tie, if he's only got two of them, Pochettino, I don't think that's such a bad thing. I, I think mm-hmm. that's maybe beneficial to the to the overall. And shape, we know which two of those team. are. It's not going to be Mbappe that's staying. Well, no, next season. That's th- that's different. That's a whole other problem yeah, yeah. for them. I think Pochettino was hoping it won't be his problem. No, no I, don't, <laughs> I don't think it will be for one single second. And going back to last point about the wages, obviously it's not a great recipe for a sustainable competition. But I think if you look at the way European football is generally, you look at the dominance up until very recently of Juventus for all those successive seasons. You look at Bayern in Germany. Liga has actually been more open than that. Mm. But what it takes when you've got a power that's far stronger than all the rest, like with with Bayern, you need them to dip a little bit and everyone else to be ready to receive the opportunity. None of these teams are at the moment. None of these clubs are. And I think the the pandemic situation is 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 part of that, um, but also is 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 poor organisation and poor recruitment in the in the case of a lot of these clubs, and that's why you've seen Nice with a, a not wild spending model, but investing a little bit of money and having the best coach in the division mm-hmm. in Christophe Galtier being able to. Climb up the, 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 the doing ranks it again, Andy. <laughs> Destroying shade on Pochettino. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, he's not the best coach in the division. Is, 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 is that simple? Andy, if, if you owned, say if you won the Euro Millions and you were going to turn AFC Wimbledon into, of course, something the club should Galtier. never be. You would have Didn't him. we beat you lot the other day? Sorry, just thought to mention that. Let's leave that to one side. This is OTC, <laughs> by the way. No, because I don't want the players just to be well coached. I want them to suffer. <laughs> and so you don't want Pochettino. I mean, that's, come on, man. I, I tell you what, I, I, I'm derailing the conversation as, completely here. That's yeah, not my intention. I mean, I don't want to derail the conversation further, but I, I think as time goes by, David Cartledge's take on here a couple of weeks ago about Pochettino being an interesting option for Atletico, I think gets... I, it's very good. It's like better that. and better like as, makes total as, as sense. time goes by. Makes a lot but of sense. In terms of there being pressure on Pochettino at the moment, it's not, as you say, Lars, about him going at the end of the season. We all know he's going at the end of the season. The question is, if they don't get it right in these two games against Real Madrid, do they keep him until the end of the season? There's a growing sense in France. <laughs> they can do whatever. Perhaps, well, if, no. they, so if they go out of the Champions League, it doesn't matter what they do until the end of the season, right? So they're going to win Liga anyway. Well, well that, out of that's, the cup. that's that's the point. You could just let that's, I don't that's know why they could let Sergio Ramos be, be player manager for the lols or something. I mean, it doesn't it does, nothing matters yeah, at all. Ma- if they go ma- maybe not the player half of it these days, <laughs> but I, I think that might be the point where they would consider blooding Zidane a little bit yeah, early. Makes sense. Which yeah. I I, th- I think would be interesting. I, I mean, the, the the level of anger at the club and particularly uh, with Nasser Al-Khalafi, the president, when they got knocked out of the Coupe de France. Now, you may think that is like an unimportant trinket in their season, mm. what they're looking at. You know, they're obviously, the Champions League or bust has always been their thing. But it, it turns out that Al-Khalafi really likes the Coupe de France. He cut his holiday off early to come back to that, and then they end up getting knocked out of it <laughs> it's on penalties by Nice mm. with two saves from Marcin Bulka, who 
is owned by PSG and currently on loan to Nice as their reserve that goalkeeper. Hurt. That hurt. So that that hurt Pochettino. But I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the the star project there and how it's very alien to him, how he has to shepherd these these superstars um, rather than, you know, go for a, a young, zesty collective. Even if you're looking at a superstar model, what's been the most difficult thing for Pochettino is that the players who he wants to be his dressing room leaders, who he wants to provide the heart and the spirit of the team, apart from Marquinhos, who, you know, creates unanimity everywhere. Really, he wants his leaders to be Kelo Navas. He wants his leaders to be Angel Di Maria. They are both marginalised by the signings that Leonardo has made, mm. which is a huge problem. I think it's actually quite a problem in the context of this tie, where they still look like quite disparate talent and maybe not quite a team. But this is why football is such a fun sport, is that we can talk for a long time, and I do enjoy it, about how dysfunctional PSG are and in how many <laughs> different ways they're a nonsense. Uh, but it's still 90 minutes of 11 v 11, and the 11 PSG have, as much as they don't fit together, some of them are really good. Mm. And it is one through ball in behind the defence and Mbappe running away from everyone and you've scored a goal and, you know, suddenly you're through. Yeah, we, we, we watched the PSG-Manchester City game together. I think yeah. we've seen this before. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> like, no matter what's wrong with the team, this, this can always happen. And bizarrely for everything that Pochettino is, is not very popular and definitely gone, I mean, he could still win the Champions League with them. It's such a weird sport. Can I just say lastly... Andy, with your Christophe Galtier AFC Wimbledon revolution, I mean, if we both win the Euro Millions, which I know is statistically unlikely, but if we do, I'm sort of, I might have to fund them, fund like the Kilburn Killjoys or something and, and put put Maurizio Pochettino in charge of them and we'll see who goes the furthest. I think your Charlton are just about to get a major investment in League One. As long as they keep beating AFC Wimbledon, I'm happy. <laughs> A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and YouTuber Chris Broad as we offer you a taste of life in the most exciting country in the world on our podcast, Abroad in Japan. Whether it's crazy bars, unique vending machines, or tips for learning Japanese, we cover it all. Recently, we even heard a particularly unique chat-up line. While we were chatting, a local Japanese guy in his early 30s made his way over to me and started chatting in broken English. Our chat about general stuff was going all right before he proudly announced... I like big girls. To me, wow. <laughs> to me, with a wink. Truly flattering, <laughs> flirting right there. Search Abroad in Japan wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Abroad in Japan is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. So we're staying in France, but we're focusing now on the state of women's football in France. I know one of the great women's footballers playing in the French League has been speaking. Uh, she's Norwegian. Mm. I'm not going to try and pronounce her name, even though I could, but you claim that it's Swedish. May have been some aggro affair uh, <laughs> to do with this. Oh, the heck about you. No, don't, we get some comments about this. Your uh, pronunciation of my name and Nordic names are fine, but you pronounce them in a very Swedish manner. Now, I will... I will Is like, there a difference? I will fu- yes. I will fully accept <laughs> you pronouncing me as if I was Swedish. That's fine, but you're not going to Swedify Ada Hegabag. Uh, we're not having that. Now, Ada Hegabag. So, I find the best way to explaining her, and it's a bit of a shorthand, and it's a bit lazy, and it's a bit flawed, but in a way that everyone will understand what kind of character she is, is that she's kind of the Cristiano Ronaldo of women's football. Whoa. And, and it's a little bit simplistic, but what I mean by that is, and I really don't like those comparisons, but I'm making it anyway is because she's someone who is totally, totally, totally dedicated to becoming a better player, to scoring goals, and has absolutely no concern at all about who she might upset or annoy along the way. She's so so totally single-minded in her focus, and she's become very, very, very successful. Um, Her record since moving to Lyon is absolutely mind-boggling, her goal-scoring record. Uh, This is per Lyon's website, by the way. I'm not sure that's fully up-to-date, but the statistics on Lyon's website is that she's played 184 games for them and in those uh, games scored 220 goals. It's amazing. Uh, so it's, pr- it's pretty amazing. extraordinary. And I'm not even sure that's 100% up to date. I'm not even sure that Cristiano Ronaldo she's can match that. absolute menace uh, of a striker. Now, she won the first ever women's Ballon d'Or in, in 2018. Uh, but you may not have heard a lot, of, a lot about her recently uh, because she's been injured. She's missed almost two years of football, having first uh, torn her ACL and then later suffering a fatigue fracture 
fracture. So she's had some like three operations and had really bad, bad go of it with injuries, but, but she's back playing now. And th- that's sort of her background. That's the kind of character she is. And, uh, which is why she, she's become quite famous throughout this. And so when she, when she opens her mouth, uh, mouth and speaks, you know, there is some attention paid to it. Yeah. And, and, and this week, um, she tweeted after France said it was uh, pitching to host uh, the women's euros in 2025. And she said, um, hosting a tournament is great. Um, getting uh, your own domestic competitions in order is better. And she's very critical of the FFF, the French Federation, for what they've done or what they haven't done with um, their the, the league. And it's, it's a huge thing. And I think for her, someone who's intensely competitive, as Lars says, and has... You know, been at the very top, multiple Champions League winner, um, hat trick scorer in the final. If we go back a couple of years, as as as, as well, um, I think she looks around and sees what um, Lyon and PSG are able to do, and what the league is reduced to. In the, it it really is just a battle between those two, and I know sometimes we like to uh, characterize. Um, other leagues in football as, as 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 being that, but but this this really just does come down to the two games between those two. The drop off between Lyon and PSG and the rest of the league is enormous, and and something needs to be done about that. I mean, she um, said her, her words were the the, the league is a, a, a total shambles. Now it has been nationally televised for the last couple of years. In terms of what's actually put in, to put it into some sort of perspective, um, the, uh, the 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 French league has a um, about one ninth of the TV money that, say, the women's super league in England has, mm. and that is a huge problem. And if you're her, and if you're part of this Lyon team that has been like for for years, maybe not now, maybe it's Barcelona, but spent years being the best ever women's club team, mm. arguably. And then you think, well, why haven't you capitalised on that? I can understand her, her anger. And last, she's not been afraid to speak out before. No. She, she quit the Norway international team, she the did. national team at 22. She did. Uh, at the height of her, of her powers, decided not to do it anymore, which is interesting. It's worth talking about it's a very complicated situation and uh, we, we don't have many hours here so I have to limit myself a little bit and simplify but the crux of it is as I understand it is that she felt the women's team wasn't being treated well enough that the standards of training of communication of logistics accommodation just everything just wasn't at a high enough level and she of course has been playing for Lyon and, and God bless him and, and uh, Jean-Michel Olas is a, there's a place where the women's team is tra- taken very seriously yeah, two effects one there's no doubt about that it, it's, yeah. not, it's not just the fact that they put money into it but they train with the same facilities as, as the men they eat in the same canteen as the men's, as the men's team they're completely you know integrated treated equally yeah, really yeah. treated equally and her having lived that day to day for a while she kind of felt when she went away to play with an international team suddenly it was different again and as someone who is um ambitious who's almost pathologically driven to improve and always become better 
she felt that when she brought up issues with the Norwegian FA that they were not receptive to that criticism and that it was just slightly annoying to have her piping up all the time about how things ought to be better, uh, which then made her feel unwelcome and like she was wasting her time and energy. And there's one thing she said which really struck me as a couple of years ago um, is that she she kind of felt that when she'd been away from Lyon and when she'd been with the national team for a couple of weeks on international breaks, she felt like she'd regressed as a footballer <laughs> uh, because the training and everything just wasn't at a high enough level. Now, her point has always been that uh, I want to be the best player I can possibly be. And I, and she felt playing for the national team was a hindrance in, in that regard. And listen, there's no doubt that she can be a challenging person to work with but all top competitors are, and 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 I, I'm sure she'd be the first to admit that she hasn't always put forward all of her criticisms in the most diplomatic manner. But the point of it is, and this is why Alda Hegeberg is such an interesting case, and why I think she's worth talking about here, is that. I'm sorry, if she was a man, I think we would call her a winner. We would talk about how she has an elite mentality and all of this. Yeah. And that she's a great champion, which is a word we use. But because she's a woman, I think there are a lot of people in positions of authority who are more likely to just think she's difficult. But actually, should we not be talking about the state of French football? Are we surprised that the state of French women's football has prompted this kind of response when we know that the state of French football overall has over the last couple of years and particularly just falling apart with all the TV money going, etc. Isn't that a knock-on effect? You said that the revenue of the women's football is only, you know, a ninth of... I was slightly uh, taken aback by that, given, as you say, how Lyon has been... Even for someone who's... It's self-financing. Yeah. That, that's that's the thing, but that's that's obviously not possible for other clubs like Soyo or Bordeaux mm. or, or teams like that and that's where it needs to change um, but I think it's a discussion it's a healthy discussion to have and it's not a discussion that's been had in the men's game actually now of, of course the, the pandemic is something different but I think for a player of one of the best teams or the best team to come out and say do you know what we need more competition in this league no one's ever come out and said that about Ligue 1, the, mm. the, the, the men's Ligue 1. Mm. No, no one has ever come out and said that. What the, 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 the sense has been is that we are lucky to have the millions of Paris Saint-Germain. We are lucky that people, um, uh, the Qataris pour in this money and make Zlatan Ibrahimovic come here and make Neymar come here and make us more globally watched. There's never a sense of... But what about the competitive balance of the league? And I think that is a good description or a good microcosm of where men's football is anyway. You know, that it's about branding more than sport nowadays, that, that, that more than competitive sport, it, it's, it's moving away from that, which is obviously a great pity. I think that because women's football is at an, uh, women's football in France is at an earlier point. Egerberg, because she's visionary, has seen that and said, you know what, we've got a chance to change this. We've got a chance to shape the future and make it differently. And for someone of her profile, as well as her quality of as, as a footballer, and you know, she's got endorsements for days. You know, she's not just a great footballer. She's she's got a voice. She's backed by Nike and Hublot and all these other brands. For her to come out and say that, I think is a very positive thing for and, for, and, for sport. And what she says, you could, like I was saying, reflect 
you could put that and just reflect on the state of French football where PSG are at the top doesn't seem like a huge amount mm. of, I know Lille and Lyon etc I know and, have their moments and, yeah, yeah and Nice yeah, yeah. etc but in terms of financial differential they're yeah. not actually going to have a moment like that in mm. the very near future unless they do an Atletico Madrid and that would be wonderful and we'll come back no doubt and talk about the state of French football mm. it never seems to go away we always get a lot of responses on social media, and we're very grateful to you for that. You can always tweet us at any time during the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adibayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Lars Severston. This question is from Matija Pisk, and this was sent to us by an, on an email. It's a good question, actually. My girlfriend and I are going on our first trip away together this weekend to Porto. Andy! Brilliant. She's not really a football fan. So I'm somewhat hopefully suggested the idea of catching a Porto game. It turns out she was very up for it. And to make things even better, it just as happens to be the Premiera Liga top of the table clash between FC Porto and Sporting at the Estadio de Dragao this Friday night. I've got some tickets and I'm in love. So remember that I'm in love bit. It's really important to... Well, the... uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where the love's directed. <laughs> He's in love. That, that's it's nice. a Shakespearean thing. Yeah. Borrow Cupid's wings Absolutely. and soar with them above a common bound. I am too pierced in. Oh gosh, I missed it. I'm too sore and pierced with his shaft to soar with his light feathers. Therefore, in love's heavy burden, do I sink? And to sink in it, should you burden love? Too great oppression for a tender thing. But what he wanted to know uh, on this uh, fixture was so a win for Porto would send them nine points clear. So this is a must win. For sporting, if they 100%. have any chance, if they have any chance of catching up, who are the Portuguese stars of tomorrow to look out for? I'm presuming he wants to show his missus that you know he's on top of yeah. it. Who are the Portuguese? <laughs> What's that lot? Yeah. <laughs> that was entirely accidental. <laughs> yeah, right. Who are the Portuguese stars of tomorrow to look out for? And of course, any pre-match restaurant bar. Our recommendations? Well, I think as far as the food goes, go on the fly, get yourself a Bifana. Yes. And you, you, won't, you won't regret it. You've got plenty of other nights for uh, lovely um, meals um, by the river. I and a suspect. glass of porter. Yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. No, pre-match, I'd say go for the Vino Verde. Like having a port before the game is weird. You need something lighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something more, that's a bit more digestive, isn't it? Porter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have the port after. No, have it after. I'm yeah. just saying, have some Vino Verde before with the Bifana. Last has got strong views on this. I've, I've got strong views on, uh, as Sergio Constasau does, on Super uh, the, the, the exit of um, Luz Diaz, of course, who's, who's just left for, for, for Liverpool. Um, he's... Not happy about that, although I tend to think they will go on and win the league without him. Uh, Sporting had a better transfer window. Um, they got in uh, Marcus Edwards, the young Englishman, for for a start, um, and he's already made his debut. I'm interested to see what he can do in this. In terms of the young Portuguese players, if you go back like ten years to the great Porto teams of Andre Villas Boas, and before that, when you go to um, Josuel uh, Ferreira's teams. There's a lot of South Americans. There are still South Americans, of of of, of course, Pepe and Pepe. Um, but you've you've got quite a lot of young Portuguese players who are getting their go with with Porto now. Vitinha, who 
didn't really work out over here with Wolves. Although I know some at Wolves who would have liked him to stay and continue growing there. He wasn't completely without promise. Um, he's in good form at the moment. Scored a brilliant goal at Aroca last weekend. Um, and I think you look at Fabio Vieira, his left foot, his playmaking. The, the, the midfield is changing shape at Porto. And given that Concesao, the whole time he's been there, has sometimes been criticised, despite having brilliant success, by a lot of Porto fans for... F- favouring tough players over crafty ones. I think it's quite interesting to see them moving in that direction. Obviously, they're expected to work hard off the ball because that is part of of what they do. Um, In terms of the young Portuguese players that you've got on the sporting side, the the, the key one you've got to go for straight away is uh, Pedro Gonçalves uh, Pot, who who was like the, the successor, the de facto successor to Bruno Fernandes when he left. He's been brilliant since he arrived from Familicao. Another one who didn't work out for Wolves, actually, when he was a, a, probably a bit too young. He's a, a terrific player on and off the ball. And if they're going to win this game, he needs to make a big difference in it. Just very quickly, just a final point. He's taken out his missus and he wants to be impressive. Are there any sort of cultural uh, tips that you might want to you might want to consider displaying or showing or being across uh, during the course of the match? During the course of the match, yeah. yeah. Oh, you, you know, do, do they have any? It's sort of um, cultural differences in terms strange chants or, or, or the way that you know like when you go to a baseball what's, match what's some guy that? comes peanuts peanut, I get you peanuts and then what they do is he chucks the peanuts to the person right. in the middle of the row and they pass their dollar along one person and nobody ever nicks it in baseball that's what I hear is there anything like that that happens uh, that's um, a wonderful idea and maybe they should choose to bring that in I would say say the best way to impress is uh, simply learn the Porto Anthem uh, off YouTube word for word and mm, uh, be- be- belt, it, belt it out. How's it go? Bit of an old classic. Well, look, I, I think Matteo can tell us next week when uh, he, maybe you can send us a voice note when uh, when he's come back. Yeah, please do. He's a very good That's shout going to Porto anyway. I'm actually, my was my second trip away with my girlfriend was to Porto. Really? So, yeah, so Matteo, we're following very much in the, in the same direction there. Well, if you're following in Matteo's uh, direction. You might be able to answer this email from John because more or less the same direction. Does strange non secretary there, Don. Well, no, it's more or less. <laughs> as far as same. links go, I have been <laughs> to Sevilla. It's on the way to Portugal. Okay, I mean, <laughs> coming from North London that is an extraordinary anyway, stretch. What is going wrong Fine. in Sevilla? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my answer to that is going to be shorter than Dalton's, uh, not sh- shorter than Andy's uh, Portuguese answer. They're not scoring enough goals. I mean, yeah, there was the two-two against Celta, but generally speaking, they're just—they're not scoring enough goals. Uh, Sevilla, their, their defense is is, is impressive. They're, they're not conceding much, but they're not scoring. And uh, you know, there have been something like four draws in the last seven or something. I mean, they're just not uh, able to to edge uh, games in their favor. This, of course, was especially sort of excruciating when they missed the last minute penalty against Osasuna to try to keep the pace with Real Madrid. I mean, I suppose the hope is that someone like Martial can have a can have a, some sort of resurgence for them and help them in that department, but but they're not scoring goals. I mean, that is what they have gambled on. I mean, they're paying him like all they're paying all his wages to mm. try and get that done between all the money now and, and, and the end of the season. Um and uh 
he had quite a flat debut uh, Osasuna it's going to take him time to adapt they simply don't have that time if they're going to stay in the, the title race that is the the issue he's got to learn how to play with and Naziri as, as, as well so yeah they're having Mar- Mar- Marshall problems <laughs> <laughs> no they're declaring martial law <laughs> they might well, that, that they will do when he starts banging them in yeah or yeah. if he doesn't He's no teacher. You're going to deploy some martial arts. He's no Bruce Lee either. I'm asking for a game of the week from both of you, as yeah. I always do. Did you? I have something here. Oh, yeah. For I'm notorious for forgetting. In fact, um, you've been doing your homework. So well, yeah, I have, enthusiastically. Yeah. Um, no, I think there's there's lots to pick from, but I, I think I have to go uh, Atlanta Juventus. Um, yeah. Just because we haven't chatted about Serie A at all this episode, uh, and just because it is a, you know, Juventus have been here last week. It, it, you know, Juventus have gotten their act together. They are now. They have now climbed into fourth in the table. They're in good form. They don't always look brilliant, but uh, but they're getting it done. Uh, Vla. Vlaovic just looked when he came in against Verona just immediately like he's the guy he really hit the ground running in that game maybe he'll give them what they need to get over the line and qualify for the Champions League but of course Atalanta just two points behind them with the game in hand uh, so good on their best day Uh, usually goals involved when they play so I I think this Atalanta Juventus on Sunday night is the one to look out for this weekend So Lash has promised us goals? I, I wanted to go for something Italian as well. I think the spirit of Nicky still lingers in the studio. Um, Should have been here last week, Lars. I listened to the pod. It was a good episode. uh, Thanks. Uh, Napoli Napoli versus Inter is is a big one on Saturday. But as Lars has gone Italian Mm. and uh, because, you know, I fancy ordering some... You're getting Jamie, aren't you? Some tapas and some some, uh, cured ham to the house. I'm going to go for Saturday night. I'm going to go for Atletico Madrid against Getafe because Mm. Atletico uh, need to respond after that loss at Camp Nou, which of course saw them knocked out the top four um, last weekend. They've got a lot of issues there. Simeone is under pressure for a number of reasons, not not necessarily internally yet, but... um, of course, the bit where Daniel Vass mangled his knee and Simeone was seen grabbing him by the arm and telling him to get on with it, it didn't reflect particularly well on his methods and was seen as um, allegorical. On the other hand, Getafe, it might not seem like the proper derby of Madrid. They looked dead and buried, totally relegated when Kike Sanchez Flores arrived back there for a second spell. 25 points in 15 games since he's been back and they won 3-0 against Levante last weekend. So they could be digging Atletico deeper in the hole, I think. And do you have a food pairing to go with that? Yeah, I said, you know, get get all the tapas in. Oh, right, this, yeah, the tapas. This, yeah. this, this weekend, uh, I like to slightly... I, I, like to, I like to cook the chorizo for a little bit longer than other people do. Um, so you know if you have like any issues with that why would you do that would you like a dry chorizo no I I like obviously cook it in some wine or something like that but yeah you You lot are living the dream yeah come on compared to me this was a stack production and part of the Acast creative network